Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and Live with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura. And for like the fourth week in a row, whatever, we're going to start with baseball. So go ahead, Morgan. <laughs> um, again, lots happened. And it's it feels like a lot has happened in this offseason without it really uh, being any trades or like, I mean, I guess there were major trains, trades and signings, but not like an abundance of them all the time. So basically just a lot of not fun stuff to talk about. Um, first, I'll talk about my personal grief over the fact that uh, the Rangers traded their last player from their 2010-2011 World Series runs, and that is Elvis Andrews. And I did not – I didn't see it coming how it happened because, like, I can't even remember, November December – they were like, he's no longer going to be starting shortstop, which is like the last time Elvis was not the starting shortstop for the Rangers was before I watched baseball. So don't really know how to process baseball without him as starting shortstop. So then rumors were like, so they'll probably trade him since he's, they're not really, doesn't sound like they're going to use him as an everyday player. And he's still in the younger-ish range of veteran. So kind of not really fair, but he has 10-5 rights, which means he can veto any trade. He has to approve every trade. Uh, so he obviously approved this one. And I think what hit me so hard, because this happened Saturday, we're recording Monday. I've kind of had a few days to adjust and be somewhat okay with it. Uh, but it was like one of those trades where there was no talk before it was official that it was happening. You know how like usually you get like, so-and-so's talking with the Rangers about this player. So you've got time to mentally prepare. I had no time to mentally prepare. I literally, I was watching something else and I was like, I'm going to turn on MLB Network, just see what's happening. And it was in a commercial, but they still have that ticker at the bottom that's running. And I'm not even kidding when I tell you, I flipped to the channel and all I saw was Rangers trade shortstop Elvis Andrews. And I was like, wait, what do those words mean? What are you saying? And yeah, and not only did we trade him, we traded him to a division rival in the Oakland Athletics so he's we're going to be seeing him a lot in those beautiful Kelly Green uniforms but playing against my team and it hurts a lot uh bad joke for this go for it Elvis has left the building do you know how many <laughs> Dallas reporters wrote that joke on Saturday so that the reason I thought of it is <laughs> Pittsburgh that's after every Pittsburgh Penguins game that I play Mike Lang the radio announcer saying mm -hmm. that like ladies and gentlemen Elvis has just left the building and it was hilarious because two years ago it was the first time they played it was their home opener against Columbus and they hung seven goals on Elvis Merzlikens and I was like, okay, this is legit hilarious. It's like, <laughs> dude, it's not against you. Like, we do this for every game. Yeah. Um, the weird thing is, I don't, well, not weird, maybe ironic. I'm not sure. One of the players we got, the Rangers got in the trade, was Chris Davis, who Ranger fans know because he is, um, I guess, lovingly referred to as the Ranger killer. Because literally every time he played the Rangers, he hit home runs. I'm pretty sure he's hit at least two walk-off grand slams against us in the last couple years. 
Um, so now he's on our team and I'm like, mm, does that void his home run power if he's on the team he used to crush? I do just have to tell you. So um, we're recording this on Monday night. And as you were talking about all of these horrible things, uh, the, the goal horn I have for hockey <laughs> just went off and it was definitely the St. Louis Blues goal. So God. <laughs> it's just all going well. It's all awful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was the, the worst. Well, not actually, it's not the worst news for baseball. We're starting off pretty light here. Um, next thing is something that the athletic just reported like an hour ago. So I guess I should be happy they did it before we started recording, but it also makes no sense. And MLB is apparently going to deaden the baseball. Um, what was that? Two seasons ago, we had them juicing the baseball. Still not quite sure what that meant. Um, and now they're going to essentially reduce offense. They say slightly, but I mean, the, the whole point is um, – they want to attempt to reduce the wild recent year-to-year swings and home run rates across the league. Not sure why the te- why the league that um, is loves the home run derby would want to reduce home runs. But then MLB just- doesn't know how to fix their problem of no one liking their sport, so let's make it worse. Well, and so they get so hung up on these like records and things and like, oh, it's not fair because they juiced the ball. So home run record, blah, blah, blah. It's like Barry Bonds did steroids. Like there, era, there are different eras. Like you're yeah. never going to have baseball isn't the same as when Babe Ruth was playing like newsflash. So there's really nothing you can do about that. You just kind of got to like people are smart. So like I always relate it back to hockey but Alex Ovechkin may or may not pass Wayne Gretzky's goal record he is if he retired today he would still be the greatest goal scorer of all time because if you put him in that era he would score so many goals he's in an era where you don't score a lot of goals like you just got to work with what you I think I think baseball is one of the sports that's like way too uptight about the records they truly are and the crazy thing is that the fact that they they want to essentially reduce offense, which in my mind means more strikeouts, which is something they've been complaining about the last couple years because strikeouts are going up because it's not really a metric that like players are necessarily like ashamed of if they get high strikeouts, but MLB is. And so, but now they're going to increase those. Like, that's just what's going to happen if there's not going to be as many home runs. So, once again, MLB makes no sense. They don't know how to fix themselves. But you know what, Maureen? I, I for one, have not seen enough warning track fly balls. So, thankfully, with this dead in baseball, we will have more warning track fly balls. Because who doesn't go to a baseball game for warning track fly balls? Like we've all been saying, we've seen too many home runs. We don't want to see someone hit 50 a season. What fun is that? I want to see a left fielder casually jog back to the warning track and catch a ball. That's that's all of our memories when we go (laughs) to baseball games. That's what we remember. Insane. So now we move on to the garbage men of baseball portion of this. Which is just a recurring segment. God, for real. And it always, lately, it always comes back 
to the Mets. So I think this came out the beginning of last week. Mickey Calloway um, has been, from what I've last seen, um, suspended by the Angels for lewd behavior. Because currently he, he, well, he is still, I guess, even if he's suspended, the pitching coach, I think, for the Angels. And before that, he was the manager with the Mets. Before that, he was in the coaches. Um, he was a coach for the for Cleveland for I think like six years in different various coaches. Um, and on the athletic article by oh I cannot say her last name Brittany Girol maybe and Katie String wrote an article and I believe it included five women who um anonymously and just for anyone out there you should regardless if they're anonymous or not in journalism you make um sources anonymous when their life or livelihood meaning their work would be uh in danger which in this case they would probably most likely lose their job because they're women in sports anyway and then they're complaining about someone who is a powerful white man in baseball so he basically these five women were talking about how it's kind of well known that he harasses uh it seems to generally be female reporters and at like all teams to the point where like at the end of the article one of them was like I felt like I should warn some of the females or for some of the women um, who cover the angels, but she didn't really know anyone well enough to be like comfortable with telling them like, Hey, he likes to send shirtless pictures to us and hit on us. And okay. I'm not saying for people to do stupid things or crimes or anything, but I said this when um, the Astros GM tried to get scouts to cheat for them don't do it using your MLB email account because Mickey Calloway also emailed some of these girls with his email MLB email account don't leave a kind of at least make an argument that if it's like a gmail account oh someone's faking it and then right. more investigation that has to be done but I'm guessing no one got a hold of it of his password for his MLB email account like that's a lot harder lie to sell yeah um and he even messaged them on LinkedIn which is a bizarre choice of social media who hits on people on LinkedIn right um they have screenshots in the article if you're interested in those kind of uh evidence but it's kind of obvious it was a systematic thing one thing they pointed out in the article is when the uh during the recent press conference with the uh, about the Mets, was it the GM, the GM that just got yeah, fired? Porter. Yeah, that um, one of the reporters there, I believe it was a, a female reporter, asked like, because he was he was like, yeah, we've checked about and like nothing came back, and they were like, did you ask any women, like, mm-hmm. for their opinion on this? And he said no. So I'm willing to bet same thing for Callaway in all three organizations 
Um, MLB is honestly on- though at this point it's a win for the Mets that he wasn't currently employed by the Mets right he came out because considering that what was his name for the Astros story their manager mm-hmm. and that was how they got no that was the first replacement of Mickey Calloway was the guy who was involved in the Astros game. oh yeah uh, then, uh, Carlos Beltran yeah and then uh Porter were actually yeah. like just recently hired. So at least he was ar- he was pre-fired before this came out for them. Right. Like, the fact that that's a win for them. I mean, the bar is like at the ground, but right. And if I'm remembering this right, I think it was 2019 when the Mets had that issue with a player that like threw a chair at a reporter or got or yelled at a reporter or something. Oh yeah, believe- Jason Vargas. Yes, I believe Callaway was also part of that incident. Like, I'm pretty oh, sure he was. he was the manager. So. And he also had an apology date because then after, oh, the right. fact, mm-hmm. after the fact, he was supposed to apologize and he didn't apologize in his apology. So he had, so to, he had to go back out <laughs> his apology. Like, <laughs> and also former owner, like this is Steve Cohen's first year, mm-hmm. the former owner, um, the Wilpons, the son Jeff Wilpon fired a Mets employee for getting pregnant out of wedlock. So, good God, that garbage, garbage. Um, we almost had another garbage men Mets related thing. However, that garbage man signed with the Dodgers, so we don't have to worry about that, and we're not going to talk about him because he's garbage and. I seriously wonder, like, how close the Mets even were, or if that was just Trevor Bauer, like, doing things on Twitter, because I don't believe anything he tweets. I don't either. I don't believe it. I have him blocked just preemptively. I have his um, manager, whatever she is, blocked just preemptively. I don't know. I And now I'm kind of like, thank God the Dodgers won now, because I will never root for them as long as he's on the team, so at least they've got that World Series ring already. Um, oh, I did put it in my notes that we would talk about that signing. Well, I'm overruling my old self. Um, the next big story that came out this week was about Drew Robinson. And I'm just going to put a blanket trigger warning about, I'm not going to say like in detail um, his story, but there was a suicide attempt, suicidal thoughts, just a warning if that's something that and also when clicking the links if you want to yes um there's a a, um 11,000 word article on ESPN written by Jeff Passan if you are in the okay mental place to read it I encourage you to do so it is very sad it's very heavy um there's also an ESPN or E60 documentary on it I have not watched that just because the ESPN article was kind of all I could handle Um, because it is very sad it is very deep although he has like come out of that seemingly a more positive hopeful inspiring person which is good to see um but Drew Robinson um used to be a ranger he was drafted by them in I think it was 2010 he is with us through I say us I don't work for the team but they're my team so they're us um I think 2018 2019 he, he had been recently traded to the Cardinals I believe the beginning of 2019 played with them I think was released and then he signed with the Giants in 2019 2020 offseason 
then COVID happened. Uh, his suicide attempt was April of 2020. So he like had already been having um, issues with depression and anxiety and the team knew the giants knew about it i obviously don't wish mental illness on anyone especially to the degree he had it but if any if any player is going to have it to the degree he had it it sounds like he's really lucky to be with the giants because the giants seem to have like the best uh mental health department i guess staff of any mlb team because MLB doesn't really advertise like their player assistance program like NHL does. So I truly do not know like who has what on each team. It doesn't seem like there's a consistency though because the NHL you call in to the NHL's line, it's the players association. It's separate from like the, you don't call in Mm -hmm. Gary Bettman saying I have an issue, but, and then like everything from the press releases to how it's referred, all of that is very standardized. And so it's, a high quality experience no matter what yeah. you're playing for and with MLB it doesn't seem to be like a league-wide thing it's kind of like each team gets to do as much or as little as they want to as Which far considering, as like Tyler Skaggs probably yeah. not a good because that's the, the single biggest thing that the player assistance program is used for in the NHL is alcohol and substance abuse mm-hmm. um so in that article, 11,000 article, it goes into pretty great detail about all of um, his mental state before and after, during. Um, I thought it did a really good job. I mean, it's a really important thing to to discuss, obviously. Uh, I think it was really important for him because he's not like a super well-known athlete, but he's, at least for Ranger fans, know him pretty well. And I feel like that alone was like, because this was like out of, no pun intended, out of left field. Because there was nothing about anything on this until Jeff Passan's article came out. Uh, like I said, it's a really well done article. I feel like he approaches it very, um, and not not in a trivial way. Or it's very helpful and very insightful. Especially if like you yourself don't... Um, deal with anxiety or depression like it's a good I felt like it was a good insight um to understanding it if you don't already have it if that makes sense uh then the athletic posted kind of a companion piece to that but from the San Francisco Giants point of view which I found very interesting uh because they seem like a very close organization from top to bottom in the original ESPN article, they did talk about how when Robinson first got with the Giants, like the first thing he did when he met with the manager, GM, and president of the team was like, he he just came right out and said, I struggle with self-confidence. And so they always like kept an eye. I mean, I'm sure they keep an eye on all the teams, but our players, but that was something that they like noted. And so in the athletic article, they were talking, they have, um, her name's Shanna Alexander, and she's the clinical psychologist for the team, but she's also the Giants Director of Mental Health and Employee Assistant Program Chief Administrator. And so they do like a whole like mental health survey for every player 
at the beginning of the season, I guess. And I'm, I assume throughout the season, but it specifically said beginning of the season. Um, and Gabe Kapler, who's the San Francisco manager, he apparently when he came to San Francisco was very like wanted an extended coaching staff, which included uh, minor league mental health coordinators that were basically same level as like your infield outfield coaches. Like he wanted their, them there and present to talk with any players. Um, one thing I found like really interesting that was at the very top of the article is like they said Kepler is big on personal development as player development, which I thought was a really like poignant thing to say. And like, as like, cause baseball seems like a very like tough sport. We don't talk about emotions, blah, blah, blah. I guess that's kind of across all sports, but um, so I found that very interesting. Uh, so then uh, once they kind of found out about what happened with Drew, they kept close contact. He kept close contact with them. Um, he's actually been still doing a lot of training. Um, it, he, in his suicide attempt, he lost his right eye. So um, uh, initially they were like, will he be able to play baseball again? But the one of the surgeons that did the surgery on his eye was like, theoretically, yeah, he could be totally fine. It shouldn't actually affect him in swinging because it only affects your depth perception up close. And since the pitcher is six, 60 feet, six inches away, most players d- decide to swing when the ball is 45 feet away. So muscle memory plus that, having one eye doesn't really affect him playing as far as that goes. Um, from what the article mentioned, he's mostly done indoor training. He, in October, he did one outdoor session and hit a home run, like basically the second ball he hit, which is a good sign. I also read in the, the athletic article He's still, I think they signed him to a, I think minor league with a spring training type invite. And they're basically like, we will let you go at your own pace. We will support you if you want to come back to the team. And obviously that's something he's trying for. Uh, On September 6th was the, I don't know if this was like a national day or just the team picked this day, but they had a mental health awareness day and they had Drew come talk to the team and the coaches and because of COVID, they like did it in groups. And I was so proud of them for mentioning that in the article. I was like, oh, look, you did social distancing. Um, but uh, it, like really a lot of players, they mentioned this in both the ESPN and the athletic article that it, him just talking about his experience, like a lot of them are like really looked at him as like a hero and like a really strong person because mentally and physically. Um, I put... One of the quotes from the article, uh, he demonstrated his vulnerability with such ease, Alexander said. That's the clinical physician or the psychologist. Uh, being so open, it touched a lot of the guys. He's telling them it's okay to help. It's okay to ask for help. From that, from that day, there hasn't been a time I showed up at the stadium when someone didn't ask about Drew. That's really carried him through the process, having a whole baseball team backing you and supporting you. That's really what helped him move forward. So... And I'm sure if he was with any other team, he'd have that kind of support system. It just seems like, obviously there's no right time to have someone attempt suicide, but as a, someone was looking out for him kind of a 
thing that I, like, I always believe there's someone looking out for all of us, whether you believe that's a spiritual thing or whatever. But I think him being on the Giants like that seems like that was the most support he could have ever gotten being on any individual team. For sure. It is Um, a really cool story. So, yeah. And the nice thing, too, I think I've seen recently with some of these, like, really big stories is different companies share them on Twitter and different reporters and then they build on each other mm-hmm. and so when it, it it's not like who's a person signing for or what is a trade deal when it's like these really human stories a lot of the like competitive reporting kind of goes away yeah. and it's it, it creates a really cool moment I think yeah for sure um another story related to this that I wanted to mention Levi Weaver is the Rangers beat reporter for the athletic and he is one of the people that constantly talks about mental health but in response to reading Drew Robinson's story he wrote his own piece on the athletic about his struggle with depression it's a very if you've ever read anything by Levi Weaver you know he is very good at putting words together and you're kind of like ah, that's how I've always wanted to say it but I'm not that I don't know his brain just works on another level um and one sentence I don't and I don't I can't exactly pinpoint why it stuck out to me but he said the topic of mental health never stays where you put where you put it and I just really appreciated that coming from like a sports writer it's on a sports website so you know the whole stick to sports thing and I appreciated that he didn't because there's never a wrong time to talk about mental health I think that's one of the most innovative ways I've heard to define stigma. Yes. Ever. Because a lot of people put stigma in like a very specific thing. Mm -hmm. Like if people aren't out there calling you mentally weak, if it's just these really subtle things, then it's not stigma. And I think he kind of makes that point of whatever you think is this nice little box that is mental health. It's so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The last bit of baseball news is sad news uh Pedro Gomez from Sports Center uh unexpectedly passed away Sunday he was 58 um he covered Oakland Athletics for a while um I think the Miami Marlins even at, I was trying to figure out his timeline of work but he did a lot of national uh coverage okay, if you've ever watched like Saturday or Sunday night baseball you know his yeah. voice yes um I also, I did not know his son is a pitcher in uh, the Red Sox minor league system, which I found interesting. A lot of, literally every tweet that I saw about him yesterday, which obviously, like, this this sounds obvious because who's going to say a, a mean thing when someone passes away, but literally everyone had nice things to say. I saw a lot of people saying that he really opened the door for um, Latinos in sports reporting which he is Cuban-American and Spanish is his first language. Um, One thing that I went and looked up because I had a brief memory of it, uh, Tampa Bay played in Cuba in 2016, March of 2016, as an exhibition game, but it was the first time any MLB team had been to Cuba since 99. Uh, They played the Cuban national team Tampa one that's not the point um but he talked about that was his fifth trip to Cuba and it was like a super special thing to see um how the Tampa players interacted with 
people of Cuba and just the culture and the country itself. And he talked about how it was a very personal trip for him too, because um, I don't know if he said his mother, but I know he said his dad and his brother had passed away and that they had always said they wanted to go back to Cuba um, when the Castro's regime was over. And so when he went back, he took some of their ashes with him and spread it around. And he was really emotional about that. But I just kind of love when reporters get to do something also personal when they're on a work trip. It kind of makes their storytelling even that much more like exciting to listen to. And yeah, so very sad loss. He was 58. Um, obviously, we don't know what caused it. It was unexpected. And that's all they're saying. Um, but yeah, sad. And I hate that I'm leaving it on a sad note. But... It was a lot of, like all over the place. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, a lot of heavy stuff. And yeah. immediately for hockey, I'm going to do some general news first, and we're going to some not great news. Not as bad as a person dying, but um, <laughs> again, transitions are hard. <laughs> I'm just going for it. So the National Women's Hockey League they had to cancel the rest of the Isabel Cup, which was really sad because none of the games then got to air on NBC or NBC Sports, yeah. which really sucks. So from what I gather, I haven't done my full research on it, but from what I gather, it wasn't really a true bubble and hence why there were a lot of infection and hence why they had to actually cancel it, which obviously really stinks for everyone involved. Um, I honestly like don't understand how they didn't like the NBA and the NHL have laid out a really good method and I get that you can't like basically take over downtown Toronto like the (laughs) NHL like I get they don't have that kind of money they're in Lake Placid New York and like you can find sponsors like like it just feels like there were some misses here that really cost a lot in the long Mm -hmm. run because there was some real momentum yeah around it and so it just kind of sucks but is what it is um in more COVID news, the NHL is is down mightily to COVID. Um, a bunch of teams are on hiatus or have lost some players. Um, we have this really stupid new protocol. I don't get it. So I can t- I'll talk about the Buffalo, New Jersey situation in that recap, but that is the catalyst for all of these different changes. There weren't aren't a lot of important ones, but the one that's like the dumbest is the glass thing yeah so behind the bench there's like glass behind the coach you'll see it every game like normally if there's fans you see them right up against yeah so enough in an effort for like airflow they're putting it down it's so stupid so did you see like the stars and the teams that have fans have until tuesday to take it down for some reason which I'm like how is still how is that going to work if fans are there it will it will stop approximately zero like it won't do anything (laughs) right in the in the in the valiant act of doing absolutely nothing (laughs) how many controversial puck over glass calls are we going to get oh in the playoffs how many times because now with with that down Mm -hmm. puck over the glass is the referee has to estimate where the glass would have been so Ah, give them one more thing to be bad at. And it's, I don't blame them. Yeah. So there's that. And then I also, Morgan sent this to me, so I wanted to call it out. Um, So we we covered Washington and their COVID punishment. And then Steven Stamkos, captain of the Tampa Bay Lightning, tweets a picture from like a hotel conference room, it seems like, 
of the Tampa Bay Lightning watching the Bucks win the Super Bowl, which we're not going to talk about because we're not really <laughs> football fans. But and it was boring. It was really boring. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. Here's what we'll say: Tom Brady won. Wow. Wow. Life changed. Okay, but they were all wearing masks, I, and but they were closer together than it seems like there were in the hotel room. And I think Greg Wyshynski said it best. Since I've seen it referenced a hundred times, please recall caps were fined because their players quote chose to interact in their hotel room end quote without masks rather than hanging out in a quote team approved area. This would appear to be such an area. So apparently COVID only spreads in places that the team doesn't approve. And apparently hotel rooms that the team books, the team doesn't approve. I don't get it. Like, honestly, I'm, the, you know us, we're like very pro COVID prevention. Yeah. This podcast. I, and I'm not the biggest Washington Capitals fan out there. That should be no surprise. I still don't understand that. Like, I, I get they were trying to prove a point. That wasn't the thing to prove a point. And I think also the other issue I have comparing these two instances, Washington was, what, like four people in a room? Mm-hmm. And then how many is Tampa? And that's the thing, too. You see some of the people in there, like guy in the far left in the brown shirt is very clearly not a player. Yeah. So, like, the four people in the hotel room were all players who are going to interact a lot by virtue of being on the ice together. There are several, several people in this picture who aren't players. Yeah. And, like, I just, I guess I'm also annoyed because of how Tampa didn't really seem to follow any protocols after they won the Stanley Cup last year. Um, Oh, forget. Instead of parading through town, they had a boat parade and let fans drink from the same cup but it's fine I just like part of me it's also like isn't part of protocol like minimizing the number of people in a space that close together like I don't know it feels like NHL is going to be pick and choose what they deem appropriate you know I think act like you could have a Super Bowl party and you could have that many people but you have to sit and you can't have a picture where you're all like crammed together I think if the picture had been them all spread out in a huge, like, like theater kind of thing. Yeah. Or like, cause you know, when they showed, um, in the bubble during playoffs, they had like that huge, like area that they had tables where they ate, but they also had like ping pong tables and stuff. Like if they were in a huge room like that, watching the game masked up and took a picture of them, then I wouldn't really have a problem because then it's like, okay, you're social distancing as much as you can. And you're all wearing masks. But it's the closeness of it and the amount of people of it that I'm just like cringe a bit. And the juxtaposition with Washington, it yeah. kind of does make the NHL look like fools, which isn't hard yeah. to do. But <laughs> um, and one little quick note I wanted to make because I've seen other reporters and stuff talking about this. So if you look on like the NHL app or any major site, the default way of reporting standings is just pure points. Mm -hmm. who has the most points is reported at in first now obviously by the end of the season none of this will matter but to get a true feel of where teams are you can't really report on points because the normally in most seasons you can because the most difference will be like a couple maybe three games played between teams but most will be most 
teams will be like within one or two games played of each other not with COVID because teams have had to take weeks off yeah and so like there's wild differences of so you'll see teams have the same points but then when you look at the games played they're wildly different so one means more than the other and so when I'm talking in my next section I do try to report it in winning percentage just because I think it's a better measure of where teams are so yeah. just something I wanted to point out and something to keep in mind if you're ever looking at the standings it's kind of like uh last baseball season where Marlins played like four games won three and then didn't play for like 10 games it was like they're in first <laughs> it's like uh, it's like uh, but are they they're the Marlins yeah you also <laughs> kind of have to use a little bit of like yeah deduction. like if, if the Red Wings had played two games and then stopped I wouldn't be like they have a 1,000 <laughs> winning percentage now um but anyways now it's time for co- climbing the corporate ladder our um, favorite this okay. is my favorite section I learned so much the I do a lot of research for this so the Honda West division um I thought this was really interesting and really cool uh so when this comes out tomorrow by the evening assuming nothing catastrophic happens Patrick Marlowe will tie Yarmir Yager for third on the list of NHL games played ever um he will pass him on Thursday um and I feel confident in that because um he has an Ironman streak second a current Ironman streak second only to Keith Yandel and his last game missed was in 2009 Oh, wow. So I, I feel confident in my prediction that he'll pass Yarmir Yager on Thursday. I'll knock Not on wood, wood for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even with the shortened season, because of how close three, two, and one arm, he can pass. As long as he keeps his Ironman streak, he will be number one by the end of the season. Wow. Which is a really big deal. Yeah. So interesting, kind of cool. Patrick Marlowe, from everyone everyone's reporting seems like such a sweet guy and he has the cutest kids and so it was so <laughs> funny when uh, I think he has three or four sons but when he played for the Leafs for a few seasons he like basically adopted Austin Matthews and Mitch <laughs> Marner and so there are all these pictures of all of his sons and then including Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. <laughs> and then they like, there's videos of them interviewing and talking about stuff. It's so funny. So that he's just a really nice guy. Um, for the standings, I kind of did a little check-in on the standings for some of these. Um, there's really tiers. So Vegas is the best and pretty decidedly. And then you've got St. Louis and Colorado kind of close with each other. Um, and that was pretty expected. And I would say this is the most predictable of the leagues because I think mm-hmm. most people thought it would be something like that. Yeah. And then there, all of the teams really theoretically are in it for fourth. Uh, Minnesota, Arizona, Anaheim, San Jose, and LA in that order. However, I would say LA is probably more on the outside looking in. The other four, it's really kind of competitive. So it will be interesting to see how that ends up coming down. I got to say... Whoever that fourth team is, because I believe how they're doing it is like in each division, one versus four and two versus three, I think they're going to get absolutely steamrolled by Vegas. Yeah. Vegas is really good, and none of those teams I listed strike fear. <laughs> um, for the Colorado Avalanche, I, I don't know what hockey god they have like permanently made mad. Yeah. But 
Nathan McKinnon is out week to week with a lower body injury. And like I said, it's continuing from the bubble. They like no one's healthy on their team ever. Um, so the other two forwards, not really important. They're mostly depth forwards, Pierre Edward Belmar and Matt Calvert. On defense, they've lost Eric Johnson and Devin Tays, who are two like legit top 4D. Obviously not Kale McCarr, but still like top 4D. And then goalie Pavel Francouz is out. And they really utilized like a goalie tandem last year with Grubauer and Francouz. Mm-hmm. And then of course in the bubble, both Grubauer and Francouz were hurt. So they had to go with everyone's favorite Michael Hutchison. And the fact <laughs> that they won games in the playoffs yeah. with Michael Hutchinson is a, ta- a testament to their team. But it's, it's a bit of a struggle. I still think just given the makeup of the league and how good of a coach Jared Bednar is and everything, I think they're fine, but definitely kind of sucks to have Nathan McKinnon out. And as a hockey fan, he's so cool. If you never get to watch him play, he is, I almost, this is a hot take. I almost <laughs> prefer like there's times, obviously Connor McDavid has these moments where you're just like amazing, but Nathan McKinnon plays the kind of hockey that I just really love because it's not, he's, he's clearly not as fast as McDavid, but he is really fast, but he, there's a strength to his Uh game and like he, how it's almost like he sits in between McDavid and Crosby and it's this really interesting thing. So I, I love watching him. Um, did Colorado get affected with the new round of rescheduling games? I don't believe so. Okay, because I knew the Wild did, and I couldn't remember who the other two teams were. Um, next, Scotia North Division. Canada. So we'll, we'll start, yeah, <laughs> a.k.a. Canada. The Canada Division. Uh, the current standings, there's – I'm trying to t- give tiers. Uh, Toronto and Montreal. Um. Well, okay, I should say the tiers kind of almost exactly work out as divisions, which tells you a little something about the strength of conferences pre-COVID because the Atlantic division has the top two spots in Toronto and Montreal, and then the central Winnipeg, and then the Pacific, which I think kind of tells you what people were saying about Vegas a lot of years. Yes, they won the Pacific. Pacific didn't have a lot of talent in it because then it's... Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver, which there are talent on those teams, but they're just not complete teams. And then, of course, messing that all up is Ottawa, who's just, they're (laughs) Ottawa. They're not good. That is what it is. Montreal feels surprising. Uh, Yeah. I... I, I think a lot of people have them picked as, like, their surprise pick, so it's like, are they really a surprise? So A lot of it is Carey Price's health. It is good they got Jake Allen. Um, a lot of it is they've been uh, like hosting the Tyler Toffoli revenge tour for a while now <laughs> with all of their games against Vancouver and I've talked about this previously he has eight goals in five games against Vancouver in all of his other games against not Vancouver he has one goal oh my god <laughs> so, <laughs> he was really not happy they didn't sign him but um Josh Anderson, who a lot of people were a little iffy about that trade, Max Domi for Anderson. Yeah. Um, because he's had injury problems. He's been lighting it up for them and it's just been a great fit. Of course, Nick Suzuki, who is their young guy who kind of flourished in the bubble last year. So I think there's a lot there. Right. I don't know, like Nick Suzuki, maybe, but I don't feel like the one, like, oh my God, Nathan McKinnon or like, 
that sort of talent or yeah. even like a even a lo- little bit of a level below that but still like wow like a mark stone or something like that like vegas has i don't necessarily see that on this team mm-hmm. but they don't have holes like gotcha they're they're pretty good top to bottom um and things that you don't love to see calgary is conducting quote due diligence on tony Mirangelo. let me just stop you right there he's a terrible person done right like that's all you need to know garbage man the thought is uh it would be sam bennett for tony d'angelo because sam bennett has requested a trade sam bennett all he's just been is a little like he either isn't as good as people thought he was or he just isn't a fit in calgary but you know tony d'angelo is like actually a crap human and he was on waivers you could have claimed him like why are you trading an actual asset for him when no one wants him um uh, just can we just like kick him out of the league like you don't have to have him let him go play in russia please he'd probably enjoy that more you can go play for bill peters that that that's yeah bye um I did want to close talking about the first battle of Alberta, uh, Calgary versus Edmonton, 20 penalty minutes and all were minors, which is pretty, pretty wow. shocking. Um, Calgary won six to four. Uh, I wrote the Matthew Kachuk friendship tour continues. <laughs> um, it was really funny on Sportsnet. They had a whole thing where it was like they were uh, doing a similar like election map kind of thing where they were showing <laughs> mapping the Matthew Kachuk hate and they were saying like it's all centered in Edmonton but then these different Canadians and like which have the strongest and which are most ambivalent to Matthew Kachuk so it's 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 fun it's I I, uh, I kind of love it the one thing I will vent about oh my god officials I get it. Connor McDavid is the fastest player in the world, but you can't be so terrible. He legit, if you watch every play that he makes it, you're like, wow, that's so cool. You'll be like, and there's a hook and there's interference and there's holding. And there's like four penalties against him, none of which get called. And then I forget who it was from Calgary. It might've been Mark Giordano was clearly beat by Connor McDavid and McDavid was going to have a shot. And so he trips McDavid into Calgary's goaltender and Connor McDavid gets called for goalie interference. I can't even like, I get you're never going to call penalties apparently because it just because you're fast means you can't get penalized. <laughs> like teams can do whatever they want to you apparently, but can we maybe not call penalties against him, which definitely weren't right. And he was really upset, and I definitely feel that. So that was frustrating. Um, and I'm not even an Edmonton fan, but. <laughs> uh, next, the Mass Mutual East Division. Um, this is where I wanted to talk about Buffalo's sucky COVID situation. I really feel for them. So New Jersey had some COVID issues going into a game against Buffalo. Um, Buffalo called the league and expressed some concerns. Like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. We're going to play the game. Now, a bunch of their players, a bunch of Buffalo players are on the COVID list, and their coach, who is 61 years old, is confirmed positive with COVID. And they're really upset because it's like, these are our assets. We paid for them, and we did our due diligence. We were trying to do the right thing, and no one was looking out for the best interest of our players. 
Like what's going on? And that's where we got, okay, we're going to look out for the players. We're going to remove the glass behind the coaches. <laughs> so oh, that's, God. that's where that came from. But that it's, it's just really frustrating. And I feel for Buffalo. Next, um, the, I thought this was cool. Of course, the Rangers are still not like my favorite team ever because of the whole Tony D thing. But yeah, the Rangers are partnering with the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, which is the like people who aren't playing in the NWHL. So it's different um, to have uh, Madison Square Garden kick off the 2021 Secret Dream Gap Tour. So they do these tours where they go to different arenas and they play like different field competitions and then they do like USA Canada games and stuff like that. Now it's a little hard because there's not four anything, but it is like a cool opportunity to see women's hockey and some of the really, really good players because a lot of the good players actually aren't in the NHL or NWHL, so like Amanda Kessel, Marie Foulin, that sort of thing, they're in the PWHPA. So definitely, obviously, I don't know how they're doing it in Madison Square Garden, if it's just going to be a televised event. I can't imagine, unless it's going to be like December 31st, that there's even a chance that we have crowds, but we'll see. But anyways, if you can watch it, definitely advise it obviously support women's hockey um and finally some penguins notes and updates um they just aren't playing a lot uh because of covid stuff and just wonky schedule but then of course they play and i'm watching it and they look good like this is a game i'm like okay i'm into this they actually look like a good team and they take a 3-2 lead and then they like didn't give it back on the next shift and I'm like this is looking good we're going (laughs) and then of course they give it back and then of course not only that but all those games where they clearly weren't the best team and took it to overtime they couldn't even do that they lost in regulation and it was just I I'm so like ambivalent about this team I just there's something missing (laughs) and it's frustrating part of it is something missing is like half their defense but because they're all hurt but I don't know I'm just you can you can hear it in my voice I'm yeah. not happy <laughs> um, so let's move on discover central edition uh, a division so standings update like I said in the other ones um Tampa Carolina Florida Dallas Chicago Columbus Nashville I put Dallas twice what did I mean that's because they're amazing oh Detroit <laughs> Detroit I just started with the the letter D and I was like oh okay no Tampa Carolina Florida Dallas Chicago Columbus Nashville and then Detroit picking up the rear to no one's surprise um like I said most predictable Tampa first and Detroit last my biggest surprise is Florida doing so well um and if you look at the standings um and especially points and stuff like that Chicago is totally into it because of overtime losses aka the pity point because it's not on wins (laughs) they don't have a lot of those but they have got a lot of overtime losses and so that's pair that's the nhl's attempt to have parity is just to give a bunch of teams participation points yep um what i really wanted to spend time on uh was this carolina columbus situation it was insane i've I wasn't even watching it, but I, I went back and I looked at the play and I and what happened and everything. It's crazy. I've never seen, and I don't think this has ever happened before. So what happens is it's 3-3. Carolina scores a goal to make it 4-3. 
Columbus challenges for offsides. You go and you look at it, it's like, yeah, it's coming back. Carolina was offsides. Then pretty quickly, all of a sudden, the refs like, no, it's a good goal. And obviously, because it, the challenge didn't work, then Columbus has a penalty. So Columbus kills off about a minute and six of the penalty, and then it's intermission. In intermission, they're like, actually, it should have been a goal, but we don't get to give them the goal. But instead, Carolina just doesn't finish out the 54 seconds of the power play. And it's so confusing. And thank God in heaven above that uh, Aaron Portsline, amazing Columbus reporter for The Athletic, uh, kind of went and also really give credit to the NHL who in a lot of times when stuff like this happens with officiating and stuff they really clam up they <laughs> really got out in front of it and explained everything of what happened and I do understand that like this is a crap situation like there weren't a lot of great choices um, so basically I'm going to read something from his uh basically the wrong information got passed to the on-ice officials so the on-ice officials were reporting what they heard but how would some they hear good goal when it wasn't a good goal good question this is where the article comes in nationwide arena that's where columbus plays off-ice officials are in the process of training a video video coordinator a person charged with making sure nhl hockey operations executives in toronto can connect with nhl officials at ice level for just this kind of review using both audio headsets and video apple ipads quote the video technician is just supposed to coordinate the, this upstairs at press level colin campbell who is an NHL official said, told The Athletic in a late night interview, they're not supposed to get involved. They're just supposed to set up things. We do the communicating with officials. We sent the first video clip for the linesman to review. We're looking at them too in Toronto and we hear a voice on the line say, he's onside, that's a good goal. He said it twice. The linesman, Johnny Murray and Tyson Baker heard that, took off the headsets and stepped away so they could make the call. And so they make the call and then it's compounded because normally what they would do is they would tell the person who's like holds the sets and stuff, like they would be screaming, like, stop the play. And so they would stop it. But because of COVID, immediately after they take off the headsets, they clean them. So the guy couldn't hear it. And so by then the period is over. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, and so they're trying to, and of course, in all of this, they're working with the video officials, so this never happens again. But basically, they're saying they've definitely had times where a goal hasn't been called that was scored, and then you hear like the sound ring and like, oh, it's a goal, and then they reset the clock back to when it's a goal, and then they play out the rest of the time. They've never had a goal that should have been overturned on a challenge be incorrectly upheld. And so what do they do? Now, Columbus, what Columbus wanted them to do is to overturn the goal, play the last minute plus of the second period after the third period intermission, and then switch sides and play the third period. This is all compounded by the fact that the end result of the game is that Columbus lost six to five. So that ended up obviously being Carolina one by one goal and they had one illegitimate goal. So they're really like, I get what they're saying is there's no good answer. Um, 
I do want to quote that Colin Campbell because like I said I think there was a lot of accountability on the NHL part which when you hear about it it was it seemed like like there was some communication problems that definitely the NHL can work on but the stem of it is a new employee at an arena Um, but he said we get to the end of the second period and I'm saying this is just freaking wrong I'm sure he was saying freaking yeah Uh, I talked to Blue Blue Jackets general manager Yarmo Kekalainen a few times and I told him Yarmo we screwed up here this is wrong this was the wrong call we are talking in the referee's room during second intermission with NHL official Chris Rooney. I told him I'd like to take the goal back, but we've never had a situation where we've taken a goal back after play res- had resumed like that. And so they just kind of had to make a decision on the fly. Yeah. Now, I, I think whatever you decide looks crappy. Yeah. However, if I were advising them, here's what I would say. Okay, if you take the goal back... And, Colum- and Carolina's like, we got screwed. We got screwed because a bad goal wasn't allowed to stand. Like, that's a little less sympathetic than we got screwed because a goal that should have been overturned wasn't overturned and we lost by goal. So I feel like just from a PR perspective, this makes sense. Yeah. And I think you're not even backing yourself into a corner so much because you're not saying, hey, you can look at it and make your review. And then if you realize that you got it wrong, go back and fix it. No, like that would have to stand. But they didn't even do the review. Like because of the communication issue, the officials thought they had done the review, but they yeah. hadn't. And so it seems like a unique enough situation where you could do this without setting any kind of precedent. Yeah. So. But there's just really no good situation. It's just very NHL of them to have this yeah. happen. Um, I also like new guy Patrick Line coming in hot. Um, this that's the biggest joke I've ever seen. That was his post game quote, and there's like so many of them. Um, but then I also wanted to add because while we've been filming this, Columbus has been playing Carolina again, and if you recall, Patrick Line was traded to Columbus for Pierre Luc Dubois, and at the end there was the whole Pierre Luc Dubois taking off a shift and all of that, and so everyone's favorite petty Twitter user Dmitry Filipovich um, had this great tweet that's like progress with a bunch of question marks, and it's just a, a screenshot of Ice Time in CBJ, and it has Pierre Luc Dubois. First period, three minutes and 55 seconds. Second period, none. And then it goes, Patrick Laine, ice time. First period, seven minutes and seven seconds. Second period, four minutes and seven seconds. Third period, none. So he is doing your bit of the like ice time thing. <laughs> because Patrick Laine, apparently like three or four games in, he's already has two goals, apparently got set. Now that said, the last time, a lot of this people get up in arms about this because it's torts. And the last time when you looked at what Pierre-Luc Dubois did, he definitely earned the benching. Yeah. Not really sure if that's true of Line, but... He's getting the Rick Bonus treatment without having Rick Bonus as the coach. And here's the thing. Love Denis Marianoff, but Patrick Line, I think on like yeah. a down year, scored like 30 goals or something like that. Like, he's the kind of player who even if you're mad at him, you have to play him. Yeah. Because you just, especially if you're Columbus, like, okay, Tampa maybe can prove some kind of point with their players. I don't know. But 
Columbus is so needing forward talent and scoring talent and power play talent, all of yeah. which Patrick Line is. Like, you kind of just got to suck it up. Yeah. Leave your ego at the door. That's not really Torts' specialty. So with that, <laughs> I wanted to talk about the Dallas Stars and specifically the way overblown Anton Hudobin nest of it all. So Morgan, take it away. So first I want to start by saying this drama that should never have been drama happened simultaneously when the Rangers were trading Elvis. So just imagine where I'm at emotionally sports-wise. So Saturday was an off day for the Stars. They had practice. We were told Hugh Dobin was late to practice. Um, my understanding, I think, was he didn't enti- miss the entirety of it. He missed like 75% of it, but still missed it. Uh, the beat reporters reported that while practice was going on. Then afterwards, Rick Bonus talked to reporters. Here are his quotes. You deal with things by communicating and making your feelings known. What is and what isn't acceptable. I have very few rules, but you damn well better follow them. Now, then they asked and we were told that Hudobin was not going to be the starting goalie or backup goalie. He was being benched on Sunday's game. Someone followed up that uh, quote asking if it would have an impact beyond Sunday's game. And he said, we'll deal with it one day at a time. So you hear that and you're like, oh, what the heck did Doby do besides being late for practice? Because in my mind, I'm like, obviously I don't know Doby, but in, but like the way he comes off to all of us is like the most chill person, calm, cool, collected. I, it's hard to even believe him being late to practice, but you know, it happens to the best of us. But after those quotes, I was like, oh my God, did he have like yelling at teammates, at coaches? Like it feels like there was a level of disrespect beyond being late to practice. Um, because the first thing I thought of was, well, it can't just be late to practice because um, last season before bonus was the head coach and Monty was still around, might've been the season before, uh, Radulov was late to practice. I don't think he missed the whole thing either. I think he was just late. And Monty came out right out and said it. It was like, he's benched for today's game because he was late to practice. That's it. Uh, so then we're all like, what the heck happened with Dobie? And then today, Monday, they had practice. Uh, Hudobin talked afterwards. I don't know if Rick Bonus did, but Dobie did. And he was like, I was just late to practice. So literally all of that drama He's just late to practice. Like, it would have been better if Bonus just came out and said he was late to practice, so he won't be playing because he broke one of my rules, and I take those seriously. And that would have just ended it. There would have been no speculation, nothing. Because also, on top of that, uh, Sean Shapiro quote tweeted the uh, quote about, you damn well better follow my rules. Sean Shapiro was the former... Uh, stars beat writer for the athletic he now works with in some nhl capacity type thing uh but he quote tweeted it and essentially said like it takes a lot to get rick bonus pissed and so obviously i feel like even sean was like oh Dobie did something beyond just being late 
And like, now I'm like, he was just late. Like I get that's obviously that's, you don't want players late to practice. Like there's a point of practicing, but like. This happens multiple times in an NHL season. Right. Like it just happens. It happened to Tyler Sagan once when he was in Boston, but still. Yeah. When he missed the team breakfast. Yeah. Um, But I'm just, look, I came, (laughs) if you've listened to this since day one, I am not Rick Bonus's number one fan, but I said I was going to give him a chance this season because it's his first season as being full-blooded head coach, and he is not living up to those expectations, and I'm having a really hard time giving him a chance um there was one game this season where I was incredibly proud of how ice time was spread out among all forwards and I was like oh my god we've made a turning point with Rick Bonus this is going to be a great season it was that like a unicorn <laughs> that lasted one game and now we're here and I'm annoyed because and I don't even know if it's from a PR standpoint but like it didn't seem like a very coach-like thing to do to blow this out of proportion. Like how, like saying those quotes, like you damn well better follow my rules. Like I legit was like, was Dobie that mad after the last loss? Like that's not the worst he's looked or the team's ever looked. Like was he that mad that he like yelled at a teammate or yelled at a coach? Like I have a question. Yeah. So same situation late for practice whatever but instead of Anton Hedobin mm-hmm. if it's Blake Como does bonus would make that quote I don't think so because it seems like he has an irrational love of that FCC line yeah I, I don't so think it, so. I think it would be like he would be like I really hate to do this but a rule is a rule like he would be like it would pain him yeah, and I don't think we would have gotten that dramatic of a call out because it no. really did feel like he was like it, it obviously wasn't the level of um fucking horseshit comments on players. I mean, if that's the bar. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is for the Dallas Stars. <laughs> um but still it just felt very much like, oh, he's calling him out because he's disciplining player. And then you just find out he was late to practice like all you had to all you had to say was my rules are be on time and he broke those rules so therefore he's benched for a game because we already know he's playing tomorrow or as you're listening to this today because when he was benched they brought up Landon Bow off the taxi squad so we would have a backup goalie and he's already been sent back down to the taxi squad so we know Doby's going to be playing tomorrow or at least backup so it's not even a day-to-day thing like he said it was because he also called it an internal uh, situation or something like that and I was like what like my mind was going wild of what situation is when you piss someone off in the locker room and you don't want to like air the dirty laundry Late exactly. practice like it's like I said so common exactly so you can imagine when all when today I found out he was just late I if I could flip tables I probably would have just because like Rick um, I'm trying so hard with you if you're listening I am trying, but you're making it very hard for me to like you. I did want to end, but we have a couple fun things. You added one. I added one. Yes. A quote from the poetic, profound Jamie Alexiak. The same press conference, by the way. (laughs) Noted when he was in Pittsburgh. Noted Tinder user. That his Tinder definitely appeared in the Penguin subreddit. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, 
that's relevant because the quote, this, this amazing quote from the same press conference, being a single guy, it's a tough time right now. And I just, I love it. Like, you know, these press conferences get really boring. <laughs> and then you get quotes like that. <laughs> so thank you, Jamie. Right. Uh, speaking of Jamie's, the other Jamie on the team, uh, we had our first, the, I say we, the Stars had their first fight of the season. Of course, it was Jamie Ben. Uh, of course, it was because he, uh, someone eyed his rookie wrong. Also, I don't actually, I missed the moment leading up to it, but apparently someone had words with Del Andrea and Jamie Ben took personal offense to that because not only is it a teammate, not only is it a rookie, it's his rookie. And by that, I mean, when Del Andrea was drafted, Jamie Ben was the one to be on the podium drafting him. Um, and so in our show notes, I included a tweet from Holly underscore Hall, which if you're a Dallas fan or a uh, Rangers fan, you probably follow her. She has great tweets. Uh, but she uh, tweeted, imagine thinking you could give a look to the child Jamie Ben personally drafted, which I think was just perfect. Jamie Ben will fight for his rookies and or Tyler Sagan. Um. So with that, ending the the uh, section on a positive note, it was a little all over the place, but I'm yeah. happy about that. So with that, we want to do rant and rave. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Sure, I'll go first because this is, I'm surprisingly going to talk about Super Bowl. But it's a rant, so obviously it's not great about Super Bowl. So um, I saw this article right before, it was probably like an hour before the Super Bowl. And of course... It's also about COVID protocol, so I'm not following it. So apparently the Tampa Bay and Kansas decided to just not do their um, off-site PCR tests. I don't really know what NFL's protocol for other games were, but it sounds like they do rapid tests and uh, off-site PCR tests. PCR tests are the ones that are up the nose and more like gold standard type testing for COVID. And it sounds to me that they just decided let's not do them because if someone comes back positive, they can't play. And it's the Super Bowl and Super Bowl trumps all health and safety protocols. Um, I took a screenshot from the article that I should probably tell you what it is. Um, but it says it's curious. I'm reading it because I was like, there's no way I'm going to write this better. It's curious then that on the day before the last game of the 2020 season, both teams playing in the Super Bowl opted not to submit to off-site PCR testing. According to the lead, league, both the Chiefs and the Buccaneers administered on-site rapid result PCR tests on Saturday, and neither team administered off-site PCR tests. With the off-site PCR testing still the Cadillac standard for sporting and Oh, for for spotting infections, it's fair to conclude that the teams opted to roll the dice on the possibility that someone would have been flagged as positive via a Saturday off-site PCR test. That would have automatically knocked the player who tested positive out of the game. On Sunday, the teams will follow the normal game day protocol, including off-site PCR testing. The results possibly could be returned during the game, and a positive result would prompt the league to remove the player from the field. And in the next section, it talked about, you know, removing a player during the game. And instantly, I thought of the final game of the World Series, in which Justin Turner 
was allowed to play. And in inning seven, came back positive, was pulled from the game. And we were all like, ha, that's how it works. You pull him off after he's been playing seven innings of a game and COVID just disappears. And then you let him back on the field to celebrate without a mask because who cares? They won a sports championship. COVID can't touch you if you win. A trophy is also a vaccine. Right? Who who knew? That's why Tampa uh, Tampa Bay could get together for that Super Bowl party. They have a Stanley Cup. And also, while we're on COVID and Super Bowl, should we talk about the fact they had 22,000 fans and only like 7,000 of them had been uh, vaccinated because they had like health workers um, in the stands and then I guess they were like, well, 7,000 people have been vaccinated. Let's have more who haven't. That's how herd immunity works. Um, it just, it's frustrating and I hate it. And also, as we're talking about this uh, breaking news, uh, MLB Players Association and MLB have agreed on their health and safety COVID protocols for when the season is going to start. Um, still, they haven't decided on that. I don't know what the protocols are. I just know that they've agreed on them. So we're one step closer to maybe having baseball, but with how all the other sports are handling it, I doubt it. Um, While we were talking about this, some more COVID stuff to make you happy. This is a headline. Miami party that UNC, Miami basketball at UNC canceled after Tar Heels partied without masks. And here's a, a little more from a sports, a college basketball reporter, Jeff Goodman. He's a good follow you like college basketball the reason that miami unc game has been postponed is because a video surfaced after the tar heels went over duke in which dayron sharp and armando bacot were partying without masks source told stadium miami wasn't comfortable playing the game well no crap like i wouldn't be either and so that happened so of course because you know it's not like we've seen this happened in baseball or this happened other places in professional sports. It's not like you didn't know better. Athletes can't get COVID, Laura. Don't we know this by now? So there's that. Also from what I had read was from profootballtalk.nbcsports.com. If you want to read that entire article to be mad, just like me. And that's my rant. My rant is not sports related, but I just have to make you even more grateful to live in Dallas and give you it is currently if I walked outside right now I wouldn't because it is currently I saw anywhere between negative two and negative four degrees and that isn't even that bad so this weekend on Saturday our high of the day is negative two degrees and our low is negative 17 degrees and on Sunday it's negative five is the high and negative 14 is the low those aren't real temperatures I've never <laughs> heard of those in my life now I will say if you live in the Nebraska area there's like one cultural thing Nebraska has Nebraska and Iowa have very little culture but one of the few cultural things we have are runzas and it's like a like a square piece of sourdough bread and then inside the bread is like ground beef onions and cabbage like cooked up 
like um, like chopped up it's not like a hamburger it's like chopped up ground <laughs> yeah. beef and then you just buy it's really good it's like fried deliciousness <laughs> and so runza and they also have crinkle cut fries that are really good and so like that's a meal runza fries and a drink and so what runza does during the winter is called temperature tuesdays and the temperature outside at 6 a.m on tuesday is the price of a runza when you buy fries and a drink and so we are definitely getting free runzas tomorrow. I was gonna say, so what happens if it's negative? It's just free. They they don't they don't give okay. you money. But that would be nice. Still, it's awesome. So I I've only had runzas a few times. They're a lot to eat. I wish they did have like smaller portions, but it's very Nebraska. So there's your little like education thing about what's going on in Nebraska. It's a very like Nebraska treat. Um. So a week from today, supposedly we could have snow. So like, I would say I, I'll be in your shoes, but our snow? snow probably will not stick if we even get it. Um, Cause I, Laura, brace yourself. On Saturday, the low is 12 degrees. Wow. That's balming. <laughs> like what was it? Oh, and it snowed yesterday. So we still haven't recovered from the like 12 inches. So it's, it's just nice and like just snow everywhere. And it's not even cute at this point because it's been in the ground for so long. And oh, yeah, no one will like it. So there's I'm very over the weather and I'm, I would rather have snow than just like frigid negative two for the high. <laughs> so there you go. That's my rant. Um, my rave is something I already raved about on Twitter this week, but I'm going to do it here too. Uh, I'm a very big Marvel fan. I I shouldn't say Marvel, say MCU because I don't read any of the comics. So I don't know any of that stuff, but like Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm, I've watched not every film because there are some I know I haven't watched, uh, but I finally caught up on all of them like two years ago. And now Disney Plus is airing a whole bunch of like miniseries. And right now, uh, WandaVision is the current series they have. And don't let anyone tell you any differently. That is the best show on TV right now. I wish, part of me wishes episodes were longer because they're all about like 30 minutes. But then I'm also just happy they're not. 60 minutes for the sake of being 60 minutes um because and I literally right before we're recording I watched all five episodes that they have right now um with my dad because he hadn't watched it I'm like you need to watch it so I can watch it again and it like it's crazy how much they pack in to 30 minutes because it it feels like each episode is another Marvel movie it's amazing I kind of feel like even if you've never watched any of the like recent movies like if even if you haven't watched the Avengers I almost feel like you could still watch this series because even me someone who's watched all of them this show starts I'm like what the heck is happening what is this even about and then like by I think it's episode four you have a oh my god holy crap kind of a moment this is amazing and it does tie into the other movies but I feel feel like you could still watch it and totally get into it I'm also really excited because I think it's only going to be nine episodes which I'm like 
there better be a season two. Um, but once that ends, I'm pretty sure the Falcon and the Winter Soldier starts like right away. And I have been waiting for that for like two years. Uh, last Super Bowl 2020, they had a trailer for it and it was amazing. And it was supposed to come out in 2020 and then COVID ruined it. And then yesterday they had a new trailer for it, which made me even more excited. And I'm just like, I'm so excited for, to look forward to like good shows, especially with COVID. Like there are so many shows that like couldn't film. So who knows how long you have to wait for them. So to finally have something to look forward to, even if I have to wait each week for it, it's just so nice. And it's like something that's actually good. And I look forward to not just like, well, I guess I can look forward to something to watch. That's my rave. I like that. Um, so my rave is like tangentially related to sports, but I thought this was really cool to spotlight. So I've been watching a lot of hockey recently because hockey's back. And I try to not just watch the Penguins, partly because they're very disappointing this year. <laughs> and I find other teams really interesting to watch too. And so I've been really into this all Canada division, like the intensity and everything of that. So it means I've been watching a lot of Canadian broadcasts. And I just want to shout out Sportsnet. Um, you can tell Sportsnet has really taken diversity seriously and not just diversity. It's not just like pick people at random, like pick the intern at random and throw them on the TV. Like really good, interesting perspectives that really make a difference. And so it's not just like angry white guys sitting in a circle giving angry white guy uncle hockey takes. Like it's lately they still have Brian Burke and that's definitely Brian Burke's role and he actually does it very well and Brian Burke is very multifaceted because his son uh came out as gay and then his son tragically passed away in a car accident and so he and his family were the ones who started You Can Play Mm -hmm. um before it really became like even a league initiative thing it was him to honor his son and so he's like you think of him as like this curmudgeon-y old man and he definitely plays that character but there's a lot to him but beyond that it's just having different opinions like different races different genders different generations it's so interesting and like something I thought was really cool is there was this guy who does the Punjabi hockey night in Canada mm. and uh, he is most famous for in the Penguins 2017 Cup run. He did the Benino, Benino, Benino. You have to like, you have to watch it on YouTube. It's hilarious. When Nick Benino got goals, it was, it was <laughs> funny. Um, but they let him call an English game, and it was so exciting because it's like he's very, he's such a talented play-by-play TV personality, and I think that's so essential and something that's not talked about in diversity it's not just giving minorities and giving um just like a diverse group of people chances it's giving them chances where they can succeed where they can Mm -hmm. show their talents it's not like oh well um we'll put you on whenever there's like a police killing a black man 
and then we'll just put you right. on and you can be the serious person to comment on that. It's like, no, you can provide honky analysis. And we've seen you do this and these things. So we know you're really going to succeed. And we picked people for you who like really like you all work together. So it's going to be a highlight of all of your talents. You're going to compliment each other. And I think that's like a really important thing. And yeah. I think that's also like you see that in Hollywood too, when they talk about like, not just like giving a bunch of roles, but like being very intentional about the roles yeah. that you're giving and the types and things like that. And so it's really cool. And it's, I really commend Sportsnet for that. And it's, it's, they do a lot of very interesting things. Like they, that's how Steve Dangle primarily brings home the money. Uh, he works for them and he does like a lot of their web content. And if you watch their hockey games and their hockey coverage, and then you watch Steve's YouTube's YouTube videos, they're very different. And it's just, it's a cool thing that they've really invested in being different and trying different things uh, with their hockey coverage. So wanted to shout them out. So, um, so I know like five minutes ago, I said, they got the protocol approved and we don't know what it is. I now know what it is. So <laughs> real time for us, uh, breaking news. Uh, so they're keeping some of the same things that they did last year. Uh, they're doing seven inning double headers, which was like a move they did like a month into last season, I think. So if they have to cancel games and make them double headers, then I think it's both games end up being seven innings. I only had to watch like one of those, so I can't quite remember how it worked. Uh, they're keeping the runners on second base to start extra innings. That, whatever. So just this season so whole day for when hopefully there's no COVID um and then the thing they're not expanding uh playoffs which is good because a lot of players did not like that I personally didn't like it either it kind of took away from having actual competitive games they also are not doing the uh the DH across both leagues which kind of sucks I kind of enjoyed that even though there are occasionally pitchers I enjoy watching uh hit there's too few of them to really like make it worthwhile so I kind of wish they kept DH it, it also kind of makes sense for teams to keep DH because that's more players you can have to shuffle around but we don't want as many home runs you're forgetting <sighs> that's right ah uh, that's why they did the rule <laughs> okay makes sense um Apparently with this, they're still going along the lines of spring training starts February 17th. Season starts April 1st, which is hilarious because what a great April Fool's prank to pool. Uh, it says the agreement also includes more sophisticated contract tracing for COVID-19 that includes the use of technology and more league rules on behavior to comply with novel coronavirus protocols. That's a bunch of mumbo jumbo that really had no meaning, but I hope it's expanded upon in the actual agreement and that's not just the wording of it. Um, the good thing is they've got this agreed to faster than they did last year, which I swear was like hours before the season started. Uh, I also read earlier that at least in the, uh, what is the Grapefruit League in Florida for spring training, they're essentially, they're, somewhat doing bubbles it sounded like they were gonna have some teams on the west coast of Florida some on the east coast of Florida and those would be the pods for that spring training still don't know how they're gonna do Arizona spring training really don't know how they're doing spring training at all 
but that's the most up-to-date thing as of 9 40 p.m central time on monday so that means when this airs there's going to be way more information but there's that for now um i did want to like do one more thing before we left because i need Mm -hmm. morgan's live reaction to this oh god so in the third uh st louis was up three to two Mm. and is bennington the goalie um i honestly don't know okay but then with one second left in the game clayton keller of the arizona coyotes tied the game another race i hope bennington is the goalie on that i'll have to look but it is hilarious in uh in reddit they'd already done the post game reddit thread for like <laughs> as if st louis won three to two and the game's not over dang so there you go there's there's some some good good <laughs> like as soon as i saw what happened it was like one second oh left gosh morgan one. has to know this <sighs> that i i couldn't see it but i bet it was beautiful like like put that in the loop kind of thing <laughs> yes <laughs> let's see i'm gonna look and uh see if we, we can i hope it was bennington because then he's gonna be extra mad and that makes it extra funny for me bennington oh yes i've always loved the arizona coyotes I've always said I'm their number one fan. We've always never had anything bad to say. Never. Not a one thing. But Clayton Keller. Also, he's an American, so you can root for him. Yes. In the Olympics or something. So there that's a good way to end. Yes. In in the the theme of a, a previous episode, Saint Losing to end the show. <laughs> yes. So with that we'll see you all next week. Thanks everyone. Bye guys.